0: Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway.
1: And I'm Cameron Conway.
0: And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway, here with Cameron Conway. And as we're working our way through December there's always a few year-end things that I like to take a look at, just to make sure that as we're wrapping up the year, we've kind of got all our checks and balances in place. So my uh, kind of year-end checklist is what I'd like to go through with you today.
1: That's right. 2022 is almost done, but we still have a few uh, housekeeping things to take care of when it comes to our personal finances. I know Christmas can be chaotic and fun and exciting and overwhelming, but at the same time, we kind of kind of have to. Dot those I's and cross those T's in order to finish the year off strong.
0: That's right. So when I'm looking back over the year, I mean, the first thing that I do for myself and even for clients too, is you look for things that have materially changed throughout the year. So things like. Did you change jobs and receive a severance? Did you buy or sell material pieces of property, whether that's real estate or something else of significant value like art or whatever the case might be?
1: Did you experience the beginnings of recession and massive amounts of inflation screwing up all of your financial plans?
0: (laughs) That too, but we'll get to that one in another day. That's a whole other topic to unpack. But at this stage when I'm looking back over the year, I'm looking for what was out of the ordinary? What was unusual that happened other than the soul-crushing inflation?
1: You mean like it's snowing in November in Vancouver? (laughs) That, That was out of the ordinary.
0: So in your finances, what's out of the ordinary that's changed this year? And is there any planning that you have to do or any transactions that you should be taking on kind of last minute before the year comes to a close that will help your overall financial position going into 2023. So let's jump right in to tax loss selling, which if you've never heard of, it's a fairly popular topic in the years when you have significant capital gains um, now that can be through the sale of a property. So let's say you're invested in real estate and you figured this was the year to capitalize in the absolutely insane real estate market, and you sold. Well, there's going to be some capital gains tax to be paid. So as a result of that, where will the money come from? Tax loss selling is all about looking at your investment portfolio and saying, what assets are down that I'm comfortable selling that. If I sell them at a loss today, I can use that loss to reduce my capital gains. Now, there's a number of rules around this. First of all, the losses should be used in this year if possible but you can carry them back three years. So that means if you had more than one year of unusual things in your life, or particularly large capital gains, you can carry back the losses that you've triggered now up to those three years and have them apply. Now, hopefully your tax returns are already filed, so this would just require kind of filing an amendment to prior returns, which is something that your accountant or even the local tax preparer can help you with. And if your capital gains are not enough to offset the capital losses that have been triggered, of course they can be carried forward indefinitely. So you don't lose them per se if you're not using them this year. You can use them in future years when the going is good and money is being made again.
1: Yeah, this isn't just like a personal thing. You also see this like on a bigger corporate level or even with like fund managers or hedge fund managers. You'll kind of see the stock market look a bit more. unpredictable and up and down in December where some years it looked like a giant crash or you have like last year where December 2021 is when the markets hit their absolute peak and then the tax loss selling started happening and then a lot of unpredictable things started happening after but December is usually the uh, unpredictable month where if you want some sales it, they're probably going to happen and it's also shows how all this kind of works together where, yeah, December is the time to dump some stuff in order to get a tax advantage for the next year.
0: Well, yeah. And the reason for that is December is really when you know kind of the entirety of what's happened over the past year. So really, this isn't something that you could kind of say, oh, it's April. I want to get in on this. Uh, You really need to see how things have played out. And while we usually start this conversation at a personal level and say, okay, what's changed in your life? For a lot of people in funds, so whether they're mutual funds, segregated funds, things like that, a lot of us will be in a bit of a loss position for the year anyways. And I mean that can happen in one of two ways. I would say that um, if your funds were down, so let's say the funds that you're invested in had actually lost a bit of money and you had to sell for whatever reason, maybe you needed some extra cash, maybe you were going through a job change, there was a purchase coming up, you just needed some money, that would have triggered a loss if the funds were down at that time of that sale. Or if you made changes to your portfolio throughout the year, depending on when those changes were made and how your funds were doing at the time, that could have triggered a loss as well. So tax loss selling, <laughs> well, a lot of people do do it specifically with the intention of reducing capital gains, for anyone who finds themselves in a loss position at the end of the year and finds themselves with a tax slip at the end, where there will be some capital losses generated on that, like I said, the opportunity is still there in the future. And like Cam said, the flurry of activity usually occurs because year end distributions start showing up around this period of time. So year end distributions are really just telling us how the funds that you're invested in have done in terms of the gains and losses that the fund managers have triggered. So the two ways are you yourself making a switch or a sale Of units or of something that you've held yourself in one of your funds, or the fund management team doing it for you as they've kind of bought and sold to try and make changes to the portfolio that will benefit the portfolio over the long run.
1: Yeah, and this could probably be a very interesting year with that because, well, I've noticed on the seg fund side, more and more companies are kind of hoarding cash in these funds. It's like not unusual for me to see like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12% of these funds in cash right now. So either you could see a lot of activity happen in the next couple months, or they're just going to keep holding off until prices bottom out. But still, it's something to kind of be aware of that a lot of these funds got mountains of cash right now. And now we're kind of in the tax selling position. So don't be surprised if some uh, interesting things start to happen in the last couple of weeks of the year.
0: Well, and another thing that's interesting, too, is even in a year like this, which was a bit of an anomaly because so much of the year was in the red, you can still have some funds trigger some capital gains if they have long term holdings that they've decided to sell now for whatever their reason might be. So even if you've been looking at the markets and, oh, it's just been a bloodbath out there, um, you still can see some capital gains if the adjusted cost base of the underlying asset is low enough because it's just been held for a really long time. So let's pivot and talk about superficial losses for just a minute here because I think it bears mentioning. So let's say you say, you know what, Hmm. now that I think about it, I did have some big capital gains this year. Or, oh, I've checked my distributions and there are going to be some gains that I want to offset. Well. The CRA has ways to make sure that if you do trigger a capital loss with the idea of applying it to a capital gain, they want to make sure that you're not doing this just for tax avoidance purposes. So there are some rules called the superficial loss rules that can apply when within about 61 days of the transaction, that's 30 days before the actual day of the transaction and 30 days after if you acquire property that is materially similar to the what you sold, you can actually forfeit that capital loss. And not only that, have the capital loss increase your adjusted cost base, which will affect the taxation of transactions in the future. So obviously this is a situation that you want to avoid and the easiest way to avoid it is just not to purchase or reacquire similar assets within that 61 day window. So both 30 days before and 30 days after and then the one in there is the day of the trade. Now this applies not just to you but also to your spouse or common-law partner and also to any businesses, partnerships or trusts that you have a material or a controlling interest in. So if you are kind of even hmm, not really thinking about it, have similar things in different levels of organizations that you control, and you do these transactions, you could inadvertently be triggering the uh, superficial loss rules. So you want to make sure you talk to your accountant about that when you're doing this kind of planning. And of course, always a great idea to be kind of looping them in on what you're doing and why so that they can give you the ins and outs of whether it's a good idea or even just how to structure it better so that it works smoothly.
1: Well, for a moment, if we can kind of double back to what you're saying, Christine, about like uh, how this applies to like real estate, this is going to get a lot more complicated in a couple of weeks because as of January 1st, the new uh, anti-flipping tax and rules kick into place where you will essentially lose like that 50% uh, capital gains threshold if you sell the house in less than 365 days unless you have like a real legitimate reason like I got transferred and I have to move because my job told me to but this is going to kind of clamp down on some of that and it's going to make things a little more difficult for probably for the better. With people kind of moving stuff around at the year end to kind of take advantage of these tax losses when they won't be able to shelter even principal residences if they flip it in less than a year.
0: That's a really good point. And it kind of speaks to how different asset classes are treated differently, right? And how the rules are constantly changing. So once again, plug for the local accountant, um, always good to be talking to people that are in the know about these things and how they change. But yes, you want to make sure that you're in compliant with all of these rules and that um, you're not surprised by thinking you're getting a tax break when you're not.
1: Just put it this way, it's always a lot cheaper to pay a good account than it is to pay the CRA.
0: Absolutely. Support all our CPA friends. So I guess just to kind of summarize our tax loss selling, I should have specified right at the beginning when we're talking about funds, we're talking about non-registered investments. So not your TFSA, not your RSP, money that you have outside of that that is subject to the capital gains tax. And of course, we should always say that, well, the capital gains tax that we're talking about right now is at 50 percent. That's always a moving target as well. Uh, The politicians and the powers that be can change that in the future. And to be very honest, probably will, because what a great way to get extra tax revenue.
1: Well, even now, as the uh, kind of liberal NDP coalition kind of keeps on going, because I know that's something NDP was pushing for is that capital gains to drop down like 25%.
0: Oh, really? I've heard the other where they're trying to bump to 75% to gain just to get the whole tax the rich thing, but um, not specifically related to that particular political party or coalition. Yes. Yeah, so if they increase the capital gains rate down the road, that's perfectly in line with the make the people that have a lot of money pay extra taxes narrative,
1: which is something we talked about in our big debt cycle podcast a couple weeks ago, or that is one of the big levers that uh, governments and central banks can use is just to tax the higher brackets a lot more.
0: That's right. And I mean, that plays out really well, especially in a high inflation slash recessionary environment where people are feeling the pain and not wanting to pay more taxes themselves and are always looking to someone better off to hold that bag for them.
1: On that note, let's talk about ways to save money while avoiding tax, aka your tax-free savings account.
0: Sure. So uh, TFSA is, I would say when people are coming to me at the end of the year and they're saying, you know what, I need to take some money out, not specifically for the tax loss selling that you were talking about now, but I just need a quick place to get some cash where I don't want it to impact my tax return at all, Um, we'll look at their TFSAs in that scenario. And one of the big reasons for that is because come January 1st, any withdrawals that you've made will reopen up as new contribution room. Plus, you'll also get the bump of the additional contribution room that everyone's going to get at the beginning of next year.
1: Yeah, and because of all of the uh, inflation issues, they've actually bumped that up this year. Originally, it was scheduled for like a $6,000 increase, but the way things have gone over the past four or five months, they're actually pushing up to $6,500 of new available contribution room this year. So if you were an adult over 18 in 2009, you've got about 80, you've got exactly now $88,000 of room as of January 1st.
0: That's not a bad deal. So when you're looking at that as a couple, that's a significant chunk of change that you can now have grow tax-free on your behalf. And keep in mind that's principal only. So the value of a lot of people's TFSA's who started right at the beginning is significantly higher than that because of the way they've been able to compound since 2009 all over all these years.
1: Well, that's unless they took the tax-free savings account title too literally and just used it as high-interest savings.
0: Yes, please don't do that, (laughs) unless your risk tolerance says you have to. Uh, But for most of us, we've said this a million times, we love putting assets that can really grow in your TFSA because the more tax-free growth you can get that you're not going to have to pay tax on eventually when you take it out, I mean, that's just such a win all the way around. Plus the added benefit of it's not taxed while it's in there either, right? So it's a good thing. Now, let's talk about RSPs for just a quick second here too. The end of the year is the perfect time to look at all of your sources of taxable income. and. For people kind of increasingly taking on contract work, this becomes a really good point to kind of evaluate how the year has gone. Uh, And especially if you have multiple employers, I would say multiple employers or people that are kind of in the gig economy might not have had the right amount of taxes come off on their paychecks. So one of the best ways to offset future taxation down the road while saving for your own future is of course using these RSPs. So a little bit of math there required just to figure out how much money you've already paid tax on and how much money you haven't. But then once that's figured out, you can see, does this make sense to put this into my RSP? And hey, in just a couple quick months, I'll be getting some cash back.
1: Yeah. And with the gig economy, the flip side of the coin is some people may have paid zero tax throughout the year. So now they're scrambling to get everything figured out.
0: Well, that's right. And I mean, December 31st for this is not the hard cutoff, like a lot of the other things. We still have that first 60 days for our RRSP contributions. So if it takes you a little bit longer to get all the stacks and stacks of receipts and things together, then that's OK. You actually have 60 days to put an rsp contribution together and again depending on what your overall tax bracket is rsp strategies favor people that are in a higher tax bracket for the year just because when your income is higher the percentage of tax you pay is going to be higher which means potential for getting more back And while we're on the subject of RSPs and TFSAs, I want to relate it back to the superficial um, loss rules that we were talking about for your non-registered accounts. So...
1: Ooh, a callback.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But you want to make sure if you have the same funds across different registration types, so in your RSP, in your TFSA, and in your non-registered account, you still could find yourself triggering these superficial loss rules. So, just a note to be aware of the content of all of your types of accounts and registration before you're making these decisions. Next up on the list is group benefits. So, if you're lucky enough to have them, different benefits have different limitations, and it can be really easy to max out different benefits in a year. So, if you're at the end of a year and there's something that you've been really wanting to claim on, this is a great time to do it just because it'll reopen up for you again next year, but also because you wanna get those receipts in and back before the cutoff date. Now, depending on your plan, it might not be a specific calendar year, it might be whatever the plan year is, but just a little bit of a kind of reminder uh, that even things that you've done that you haven't claimed, that now would be the time to get that money back I mean, who doesn't need a little bit of extra cash in their pockets this time of year?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of these tips we're going over is just making sure you can get pretty much everything you can get for yourself before the year is out. So yeah, get your RSPs, start to get it figured out so you can get in your 60-day window, start putting some money aside so you can get your TFSA ready to be topped up again come January or even February, or even other little odds and ends. Like, hey, this might be time to apply for an RESP so you can get the 2022 grants thrown into it before the year closes out and you get a whole new fresh batch of grants next year. Again, we did a whole thing on RSPs a while ago. Uh, more details there. This stuff will kind of vary by promise. But in BC, we've got a bunch of fancy grants you can get essentially just by setting up an account. So if you haven't done it yet for your kids, this is probably a good time to fill in the paperwork and get a, a little extra top up before you really start to commit actually putting money into it next year.
0: Yeah, and RESPs actually have really specific carryback rules where you can't go back indefinitely to get the grants. So if you miss too many years, you might lose out on them permanently. So again, I mean, I know for ourselves with our new son, we're looking at getting the full amount in before the end of this year. Just because we want to make sure that for his first year, we have that kind of ready to go and accounted for so that we can move on next year uh, and focus on topping that up too. Because with kids, I mean, it really is only 17 years that you get, and it is a limit to how much grant you can get overall. So anytime you can get extra money from the government kicked in, what a great idea. So let's um, just encourage you to take a look at that as well.
1: Well, a lot of what we've talked about today kind of focuses on kind of me, myself, and I, so to speak. Uh, but there's one more thing we can look at, and that is charitable giving. So you can help other people, and you can help yourself by uh, helping with your tax rate. So December is usually the busiest time of year for uh, different kinds of charities, religious organizations, food banks, all this other kind of stuff, because this is kind of the time where everyone goes, oh, yeah, I forgot to do this for the last 11 months. Let's just throw all the cash at it right now.
0: It's a good time to be a charity. But um, yes, and this benefits you as well. People can use up to 75% of their net income uh, as charitable donations. And I mean, depending on where you live by province, there's going to be a federal amount, but there's also going to be a provincial amount. So different provinces have different incentives in terms of how much you'll get back when you file your charitable donation credits. And another note here is overwhelmingly, these are non-refundable credits, which just basically means if your tax has been brought down to zero, you're not going to get any money back. So while you're doing a good thing here, you also want to keep an eye on how much of the credit is usable this year, or if it's something you might need to use in a in another year. So for example, if you have unclaimed Uh, charitable giving donations, you can go back up to five years, uh, and you can do that for your spouse or partner as well. In a lot of ways, the charitable donation tax credits are interchangeable.
1: Another thing to kind of think about, which is it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but let's say you've never really given much charitable giving before, and then all of a sudden, this is the year you decide to give 10%. Uh, Don't be surprised if CRA kind of gives you a courtesy call to make sure everything's okay.
0: That's right. If behavior is out of the norm, or if you have an unusually high percentage relative to your income, that is definitely a trigger for an audit. So even though you're trying to do a good thing, um, it might mean you have to spend a little bit of extra time making sure that you do have all your proper receipts in order so that when the CRA comes knocking, it's not that challenging to be able to prove that your claim was indeed founded. Well, so far today, we've kind of been talking about more uses for your hard-earned income. So far today, we've kind of been talking about more uses for your hard-earned income and more ways that you can spend more money. But I mean, Christmas, this really is the season that can set people back quite a bit next year if they're not careful with their spending over the holiday season.
1: Especially in a year like this when suddenly Black Friday turned into a two-week sale instead of a one-day sale.
0: Well, and we were at the mall this weekend, and if the malls are any indication, <laughs> things are back in full swing. So Christmas budgets is not something that people like to talk about, but I think it's a really, really good idea to have a fixed amount of in mind that you want to spend on gifts this month so that you're not surprised when you open up your credit card statement in January. You always hear those horror stories about people taking months and months and months to dig out of the Christmas spirit that they generated and uh, when they gave their family a great Christmas. But if it sets you back so much financially that it's painful to dig out of the hole, or that it takes you so long to do it that it's really detracting from other areas of your financial health, then that's something that you might want to reconsider as well.
1: Well, especially, yeah, everything just kind of happens in this like little, well, from Black Friday on, it's when all the binge spending tends to happen. I guess it's kind of, my family, it's kind of an oddball where my mom usually starts Christmas shopping in like August just to kind of spread out the cost.
0: Oh yeah, she's uh, she has the most holiday spirit of anyone I think I've ever met. She shops for Christmas all the way through the year. But for the rest of us, most of the purchases kind of happen in these couple weeks here. And I think that as we're kind of looking for meaningful ways to experience Christmas, the experience-based way of doing that can be really helpful as well whether that's doing a family gingerbread session around the Christmas uh, kitchen table, which is, I mean, something that we got to do with our kids for the first time this year, and that was pretty special, to even just going to some of those light shows or driving around the neighborhood to check out the different displays. There are lots of ways that you can enjoy the holidays without reaching in and getting the next new hottest toy for your kid that's just going to be left on with in about three weeks anyways.
1: Or if you want some holiday entertainment, you can watch a bunch of uh, parents fight over that one toy.
0: And let's not forget the Christmas movies and things like that where you can cozy in inside the house. (laughs)
1: Like Jingle All the Way, where they're fighting over the one toy. I'm just going to keep milking this joke until I make Christine laugh.
0: Sometimes that can take a while. But uh, just to say enjoy the holiday season. We certainly will here, but please make sure that it's not at the expense of January, February, March, and April. So that got a little bit more luxury than I had hoped. Of course, you're going to live your life the way that you want to. Uh, We just try to help people avoid the pitfalls of feeling like they're in soul-crushing debt after the fact.
1: Yeah, In many ways, this is kind of like our uh, top 10 list of things we talk to our clients about this time of year, so we hope you enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, so why don't I just kind of recap a bit. So start off by looking at how the year has gone, if there's been anything unusual in your life that kind of has to be prepared for from a financial point of view. Take a look at your investments. Take a look at the year-end distributions if you have non-registered investments, just to kind of see what position you're in, if you're in a capital gain or capital loss, as a lot of us will be this year. Consider tax loss selling if that's something that you have to do to offset big capital gains, if you maybe sold a piece of real estate or had other ways that larger capital gains were triggered in this year. But keep in mind the superficial loss rules just to make sure that you and your spouse and your companies are all above board when you do something along those lines. And then don't forget to uh, take a look at your TFSAs and Whether you're making a withdrawal or preparing to put money in in the new year, that's always a great place to go. Same with your RSPs, especially if you had contract work or gig economy, multiple jobs. This is a great time to start adding up all of the different sources of taxable income and seeing if an RSP deposit for the first 60 days makes a lot of sense or during this year if you can as well. Uh, Looking at your group benefits, making sure you took full advantage throughout the tax year, making sure that you're using them as much as you can before the benefits reset in the next year and also making sure that you are claiming everything that you are eligible to claim. So that might be a call to your benefit provider as well just to make sure that you get all the extra spending money back possible so that you have that extra cash for Christmas. And of course, we always encourage people to give charitably if that's something that you're so inclined to do and to top up your kids' RESPs. And finally, just to give yourself a bit of a heads up for the next year uh, to keep your spending in check. I know it's so hard, especially when you want the best this time of year, but Make sure that that debt doesn't create a hangover into the new year that you're going to have to deal with for months to come. So a little bit of responsibility throughout the season goes a long way of getting you set up so that you can save all the way into the new year. So that was our not exhaustive, but some of the things that we like to look at around the end of the year. Hopefully it helps you out. If you have any new ones you'd like us to add to our list or that you'd like us to talk about in the future, feel free to reach us at our facebook group or you can reach us of course at braun financial braunfinancial.com and until the next time um, we will be doing another podcast next week but then we'll be taking two weeks off for the holiday season so that we can enjoy having these great experiences with our family as well and spending some time together uninterrupted so until the next time take care and all the best